0: You stop telling God how to answer prayer and when to answer prayer. And you stop trying to fix everyone and everything and you unburden and you unclutter your soul and you sit in His lap and rejoice in Him. Not in the circumstance around, not in the challenges and the mundane and the daily and the routine, challenging and important as they are, but you move to a whole new level when you can say, Thy will be done. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. Last Sunday morning, we started a new series of studies in Matthew's gospel, looking at the Lord's prayer. And last Sunday morning, we focused on our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And this morning, we're going a little further and a little deeper. You'll find it on page 1504, page 1504 of the church Bible. Matthew chapter 6 is where we pick up the Lord's Prayer, but you also find it in Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, one of the disciples goes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. So, beginning in Matthew chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His Holy Word. Ruth and I live at the end of a cul-de-sac, and we have the enormous privilege of being surrounded by children who are six and under. And across the street lives Miss Gray, whom I've mentioned to you before. And Gray is the wee girl who comes over after her bath some nights with her onesies and her blanket and her book, and she'll jump up in the seat beside me, and I have this incredible privilege of reading stories to her and then take her back home after Ruth has filled her with chocolate and sugar, and then she can have mayhem when she goes back. But we are the heroes as long as we keep feeding her all this sugar. On our left-hand side are another couple of wee ones, Claire, who's four. She has bright, bright blonde hair. Her young brother, almost two. And on the other side, we have four-year-old Lucas and his baby sister. Now, they know that we have bunnies living in the garage. And the bunnies are better looked after than yours truly. They have a pen that is 12 feet wide by 8 feet deep. They have two hutches, an assault course, and they run around the assault course having endless fun. They're fed several times a day, and they just are having the best time. And occasionally, it doesn't really matter what time of day, we will hear at the door. And we look at each other and say, was that the door? And it's a little knock. And when we open the door, here are the neighborhood children wanting to see the bunnies. And it's so much fun. We open the garage door, and we walk round and we go in. And this past Wednesday, Ruth did what she's never done before. She lifted Lucas, who is four, and next door, and put him into the pen. And boy, was he beside himself. The bunnies came over immediately thinking, someone's come to feed us, and they are... <laughs> sniffing around his little shoes and his trousers, and one of them goes up on her back legs to be fed. And he's just beside himself, and he starts to dance. And he says, look at these guys, look at these guys. He just can't contain himself. And the other children are smiling except Claire, because she's quiet and timid. And she, at the top of her voice, says, Lucas, you are frightening them! And of course, with this increase in volume, the two bunnies' eyes get very big and they start backing off. And to see the world through the eyes of children, of course, is an incredible privilege and so much fun. And last Sunday morning, when we began our study in the Lord's Prayer, we reminded ourselves... That some of the most powerful words we can use are when we recognize God as our heavenly Father, our Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we said last Sunday morning that there isn't a modern equivalent for hallowed, and so the Bible translators use the old English to say it is sacred. It is distinctive. It is a priority in our faith to come to Him who is our Father and to worship Him and bring adoration and praise to Him. Martin Luther, in a well-known phrase, defined the essence of prayer when he said prayer is like climbing up into the heart of God. Climbing up into the heart of God is almost as if God is sitting there, and you come and you sit in His lap, and He puts His arm around you, and He listens to how your day has gone and He strengthens you and encourages you, and you break out in this wonderful smile of deep, abiding, intimate appreciation of who He is, and you enjoy Him because He is your heavenly Father. That's how this prayer begins. It's almost as if we can't stand it. And then as we move further into this week's study. Jesus sets up an order and a structure, and He moves from our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name, to Your kingdom come. And He's reminding them instantly of the indispensable, vital, vibrant nature of prayer. Your kingdom come. And when we offer up that prayer, what is it, that we are specifically asking for, because that is what prayer is. And Jesus reminds them in those opening two stanzas that it begins with worship. It begins with adoration. It begins being lost in wonder, love, and prayer in Him who is hallowed. And then it moves to intercession. Thy kingdom come. Now, what do we mean when we pray Thy kingdom come? What are we asking? A reasonable working definition of asking Thy kingdom come is this. Father, allow Your reign and rule to be at work in my life. Allow me to surrender and submit to Your reign and rule in my life. But this prayer is so much broader than just our individual lives. It is a prayer let your reign and rule come into our world. Let it saturate our society and our culture and our nations in every trunk, excuse me, in every tongue and tribe and language. Let it saturate in your kingdom come. And that may be hard for us to get our mind around. Let me illustrate what I mean, because I think you will immediately empathize with what I'm about to say. If in the early evening, after your evening meal, you switch on the television news and it begins with a report on a terrorist walking into a marketplace and then detonating a bomb, and the cameras are there fairly quickly afterwards… And they cover the chaos and the violence that has just taken place. And you think to yourself, oh, for goodness sake, what on earth did that achieve? And you shake your head in wonder and incredulity and say, Father, thy kingdom come. Come now. Put a stop to this. Let your rule and reign be a living reality to get rid of hatred and violence and the crippling, debilitating effect that comes with it. Let thy kingdom come. That's a real, genuine prayer right there if you're visiting a children's hospital and you go on to the cancer floor and you're walking past each room and you see in through the window wee ones, no hair, wired up to monitors and parents and grandparents sitting at the side of their bed and would swap places in a heartbeat with that wee one. And your prayer is, Thy kingdom come. Put to an end death and disease. Put to an end sorrow and grief. Thy kingdom come. That's what you're asking. When you experience in your family or your place of work or your neighborhood an individual whose life has been blighted and crippled with alcohol or drug addiction families trying to recover from domestic violence. That's the place we pray. Thy kingdom come, put an end to this. Father, let this world that you have created, these people you are deeply in love with, enable them to surrender their lives to your rule and reign. Come, Lord Jesus, bring it to an end. That's when we're beginning to really pray, when the reality of all of that begins to dawn in our hearts and minds and souls. And you may be sitting this morning saying, Richard, I could not agree more. I've got that. I see that. I like how you've highlighted for us these past two Sundays, the component parts. But Richard, help me with the section, Thy will be done. Very comfortable with the first two sections, but quite honestly, there are days when I struggle to say, Thy will be done. Hold that thought. Let me try and at least come to some way to answer it. Whenever we think of prayer, we sometimes live with the popular misconception that the very essence of prayer is about asking God for things. And we sometimes spend our prayers thinking more about my will be done than thy will be done. But when you climb up into the heart of God, and when you rest There. And when you then pour out your heart and mind and soul, when you cry to him over the possibility of a promotion or moving house or moving to another city or where you should send your children to school, those things become of secondary importance. Doesn't mean they're important, and we'll get to them in a minute. our prayers don't begin there. They don't begin with the external, because what Jesus is teaching His disciples here is this, that it begins with the internal. And once you get the internal right, then the external falls into its proper perspective. Let me see if I can illustrate that. In Ephesians chapter 3 we find one of the great prayers of the Apostle Paul. There are several of them. You'll find them in Colossians and Ephesians and also Philippians. And the prayers are almost identical, not quite, but very similar. And notice how he prays for the people at Ephesians. He says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's the first line of his prayer. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you in your inner being. Then secondly, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And thirdly, I pray that you, being rooted and established in His love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Christ. That's where he begins. And what is staggering and surprising about that prayer is this, and it's the same in each of his prayers He doesn't pray for the daily and the routine and the mundane and the ordinary, because he knows that despite how important those things are, almost critical to our daily living, Paul knows this, that when the internal is focused and rested and content in him, then the external circumstances of our lives fall into their proper perspective. That's prayer. That's what it means when we say, Thy will be done, because we know His good and pleasing and perfect will is the best answer to any kind of prayer. And what is His will for us? That through His Spirit… He will do what? Strengthen us in our inner being, that we will be rooted and established in His love and His care and His grace. And when you are there, then you've climbed into the very heart of God. That's where contentment comes from. That's where that deep, satisfying relationship of love is sealed and cemented. Because from that point on, you know you can trust Him for everything else to come. For everything else to come. Let me pause for a moment and try and drill down a little deeper. When Michael was age five, and he's now 27, so it's a while ago, we bought for him probably the best birthday toy ever. It was three feet long. It was eight inches high. It was a fire truck. And it made all sorts of sounds with sirens. And we were endlessly feeding batteries into it so that the lights would turn and flash off and on and make all these strange and wonderful noises. And we gave him a red fireman's helmet to go with it. And he and I would get under the dining room table and we would spend time in there on this hand. He would turn the wheel and as he turned the wheel, the extension ladder would come out. And then as you turned the other wheel, the extension ladder would go up and it would go all the way up to the chair under the dining room table. And we rescued all sorts of people in danger on top of those chairs and all sorts of wild animals we'd rescued and looked after and made safe. It was one of his favorites. Now imagine what would have happened if with my big clumsy size nine and a half, I stood on his truck and broke a piece off. He would have looked at me and said, Dad, look what you've done and that would have been followed by tears and of course i would have to be a clever dad and look at it and say it's okay a little super glue here and a little super glue there we'll get it back on it we'll be fine dad what have you done and just as the chaos and mayhem was breaking out under the table ruth comes in and says you will never believe what we have just received in the mail and of course i stick my head out from under the table and say Well, what is it? And she shows me a letter, and it's from a law firm in Edinburgh, and it says, Dear Mr. and Mrs. Gibbons, your great-aunt Agnes passed away recently, and in her estate she has left you seven million dollars. Imagine what would happen if I take that letter, crawl back under the table, and say, Michael, We've just inherited $7 million. You've broken my trunk. (sighs) When you're five years old, you do not have the cognitive ability to process what has just taken place. You do not see the big picture when you crawl up into the heart of God Himself, you see it from a very different perspective. Because not only do you begin with worship and praise and adoration, when you say, Thy will be done, you mean it. Because His will is good and pleasing and perfect, and you know it is perfect for your situation, and you stop doing what? you stop telling God how to answer prayer and when to answer prayer, and you stop trying to fix everyone and everything, and you unburden and you unclutter your soul, and you sit in His lap and rejoice in Him. Not in the circumstance around, not in the challenges and the mundane and the daily and the routine challenging and important as they are, but you move to a whole new level when you can say, Thy will be done. Notice the order of the prayer. It begins, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Adoration, praise, worship, and then it moves to intercession. And folks, when we try and shortcut or bypass that process, inevitably it will not work out, because not only is Jesus teaching a prayer, He is modeling a prayer and giving a structure and an outline. And it begins with worship and adoration, and then it moves to intercession. If you try and short-circuit the process and go to intercession, your prayers come off as a shopping list of wants and needs and demands. But it's when you're lost in Him, then you are able to say, Thy will be done. Now, as we wrap this up this morning, here is my final question can you think of another passage of Scripture when Jesus Himself says, Thy will be done. At the end of the Gospels, we find Him in Gethsemane. And within hours, He will be arrested, tried, tortured, crucified, and dead. And he knows it's coming. And he knows that he will become sin for us. And all the sin of eternity past and eternity still to come will be poured out on him. And he cries, Father, if there is another way, if there's another way, are there other options here? And then he remembers thy will be done. Because the eternal decrees of God unfold over those next few hours as He is sacrificed for our sins. And the book of Hebrews tell us, tells us this, that He went to the cross scorning it, shame, because he knew his father had him, would not betray him, would not let him go, even in the midst of sin and death. And he was then able to say, thy will be done. When we are able to surrender to his reign and rule in our lives, it's as if the Holy Spirit picks us up, puts us on to the lap of God Himself, and when we are there, we move away from childish things. We move away from telling God how to respond and why He should respond and why we need it and why we need it now to be able to say, Thy will be done. We're moving from childhood towards maturity and a deep abiding Eternal intimacy with Him. And that's why Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer the way He does. And that's why we, as the people of God, can say it and mean it and delight in it when we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this spectacular passage of Scripture that challenges us and helps us to focus on you. Father, help us this week to put you, please, at the center of our thinking, the center of our planning, the center of our feelings. And once again, to rest in you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.